Well, today we are going to complete our series titled Live Strong, which has been our study uh, in the book of Philippians. And I pray that over uh, the, the past nine weeks, you found strength from the Apostle Paul's writing to this church in Philippi, this church that, that he loved so very much. Th this book is literally jam-packed with truth that is designed to shape our lives in such a way that we can walk out our Christianity in a strong and in a victorious way. I mean, let's just review some of the powerful truths that we've covered in this one small book. We began with Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, what God starts in your life, he will finish. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying we are greatly blessed to live for the Lord Jesus Christ now on this earth, but when our life ends, we will receive an even greater reward. We are in a no-lose situation, folks. Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. This reminds us that we must walk in true humility. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, whom being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death on the cross. Again, Paul reminds us that we are to have the mind of Christ and to never view ourselves as better than anyone else. We should live our lives humbly and in addition realize that we are here also to serve and to not be served. Philippians 2, 14 and 15, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And by doing this, the apostle Paul says that we will shine like stars in the sky. Philippians 3, 7 and 8, but what things were gained to me, Paul says, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Remember, we talked about credentials. Well, the apostle Paul says the only credentials that matter in this life is who you are in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's not about where we've been, it's not about where we're from, it's all about where we are going. Philippians 4, 8, and 9, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says that the things we think about 
we eventually become. So when we think on these things, this list that the Apostle Paul presented to us, the peace of God will be with us. And then finally, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As I mentioned this past week, this is our go-to scripture that, that is probably the most quoted scripture in the Bible for us Christians. But Paul used this in the context of him being content where he showed us that contentment is a learned state of being. So whether it's in the learning or whether it's in the doing, God always strengthens us to do whatever it is that he has called us to do and to be whatever it is that he calls us to be. Those are all powerful truths that we need to learn to live by. And my hope is that you've been blessed by them but more importantly, that you are applying these truths to your everyday Christian walk. Well, this morning, as we come to the end of Paul's epistle, it becomes clear that the book of Philippians could very well be a thank you note to this church in Philippi. Last week, we talked briefly about a gift that the church had given to the apostle Paul. Well, you're going to see in this final paragraph of this letter that it contains a direct statement about the gift that he had received from them. And as you look carefully at Paul's words, you will see that they reveal some wonderful truths about Christian giving. And so that's what this message is going to be about today. But instead of it being a, a sermon that is driven by a financial need or a financial crisis, this will be a sermon given to a congregation who has proven to be faithfully generous. And I'm not just talking about the church in Philippi, I'm talking about this church in Red Bluff, California. And so with all this background that we just covered, let's open our hearts and let's see what God wants to teach us this morning. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, it will be up on the screen behind me and you can follow along. We will be reading chapter four, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 14 through 20. Philippians 4, verses 14 through 20. I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Paul says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So first what we see in this scripture is that a gift was given. You see, this is a story about a church that cared. When Paul first visited Philippi and planted a church there, some 10 years prior to this, he did so amid some enormous spiritual opposition. He and Silas ended up being beaten, arrested, thrown in jail, 
and placed in chains, but then miraculously they, they were delivered by a midnight earthquake where their shackles fell off. The next day, they were escorted out of town by the authorities to avoid further disturbance. And Acts chapter 16 tells this story in vivid detail. And evidently, these new Christians never forgot what it cost Paul and Silas to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to their city. So when Paul traveled to Thessalonica and then later on to Berea, Athens, and Corinth, they sent him gifts on numerous occasions. And we know that Paul kept a good record of these gifts because he uses accounting terminology when he mentions the matter of giving and receiving. Now, it's important for you to understand that in Paul's mind, Christian ministry was a two-way street. He preached the gospel, which greatly benefited those who heard the message. And as the hearers supported him financially, Paul received a blessing in return from them. And from that, you will find the first principle regarding Christian giving. And it is this, you should give where you are blessed because when you do, you will receive a blessing. That's the background of the famous scripture found in the Old Testament book of Malachi, chapter three, verse 10, that says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. You see, there were, there were rooms in the temple in Jerusalem, and uh, these rooms stored grain. The grain that was given by the people as their tithe. This was not a currency-driven economy like we live in here in the United States. It was an agriculturally-driven society. So instead of writing a check, they would bring in for their tithe a tenth of their crop. And as the priest received their allotment from that grain, it freed them up and it allowed them to, to minister directly to the people. And in addition, that same grain took care of the deeds of the poor. Now, when the people in Israel failed to tithe, the priests could not be paid. They had to go out and fend for themselves in order for them to survive. And this meant that the religious life of the entire nation became hindered, as well as the poor not being taken care of. Ironically, by failing to tithe, the Israelites were ultimately hurting themselves. So giving where you are blessed is an enormously important guideline for all Christians to remember. Are you blessed by your church? Then you should give to your church. If your church is your source for teaching and training you and your family to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and serving people within this community, then you wanna to give to that place which is blessing you and is blessing your community. But let me just make something perfectly clear. We, when I say we, I mean just church leadership does not believe that all your giving should be limited to High Point Assembly. Certainly the tithe, or what the Bible refers to as your first fruits should come and be brought into the storehouse, as the scripture calls it. That's appropriate. That is biblical. But we also encourage you to give to worthy causes uh, apart from this church as the Holy Spirit directs you. Are you encouraged by the work of a, of a missionary in a, in a foreign land? Then give to help that missionary. 
Do, do you see important work being done in some inner city uh, ministry? Then write a check to them and help them out. Do you believe that there might be a certain college or a, a Bible institute that is doing a great job in building up new leaders, a new generation of Christian leaders? Well, if so, bless them. Give them some kind of a gift. The principle is very clear. Give where you are blessed and you will receive a blessing. This is nothing more than what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use or that you give, it will be measured back to you. Sometimes I don't think we take this verse as a literal truth. When Jesus says it will be given to you, he based that promise on who God is. God is a generous and a benevolent God who loves to give good things to his children because it is in his nature to give. And he always gives us far more than we give to him. And that leads me into the second principle of giving. You cannot outgive God. Here's how it works. God blesses you and gives to you. And out of that blessing, you give to others. And as a result of your faithfulness in your giving, you receive even greater blessings from the Lord, which causes you to give even more. It is a beautiful and a wonderful cycle that will go on through your entire life. And it's an amazing thing to be a part of. You know, when I think back and when I was young, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, and when I moved out of the comforts of my parents' home and went out on my own for the very first time, I mentioned that I was living in some pretty meager conditions. I think we all do that, right? Every piece of furniture you got might just have a mattress on the floor, but that's your furniture, right? And, and that's what you start with. But I remember on occasion in my immaturity, I would sometimes sit down and I would contemplate the many things that I could buy with the money that I was giving for the tithe. It's just a confession, and I'm sure you've done the same thing if you were honest with me. You sit there and you look and you go, man, what I could do with this? And that was my mindset when I was just starting out. That was my mindset when I had less money than I've ever had in my entire life. But I remained faithful, and God continued to bless me as I blessed the work of the Lord. And as my income grew through God's blessing and, and through God's provision, soon it became inconceivable for me to consider ever not giving. And I grew up to absolutely love to give, and since being married to my lovely wife, Lisa, we have learned to give to many, many different works beyond High Point Assembly. There are many worthwhile ministries out there that we believe in and that we support monthly a financial gift. And as we have given over the years, God continues to bless us in ways that allow us to give even more. God's faithfulness is truly a wonderful thing for you to experience. And I know many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. This message is for those of you who have never experienced this. You must. It is a life-altering thing. So, so for me, what started as something that I did just out of obedience grew into something that I truly love to do. And it's become a part of who I am. But let me say this. While I believe that giving first 
is a matter of obedience, it can never deteriorate to the level of some kind of a guilt-ridden duty. You see, God never intended for you to moan or groan whenever you put money into the offering receptacles out in the foyer. Because the word of God says that God loves a cheerful giver. And he rewards those who give because they want to give. So make sure that you get these principles. First of all, give where you are blessed and you will receive a blessing. And the other one is you can never ever outgive God. He will prove it to you over and over and over again. Let's go back to verses 17 and 18. Paul says to the church, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma and an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Secondly here, we see that a gift was received. Here, Paul reveals the greatness of his heart because he wants them to know that while he appreciates their gift, he wasn't depending on it. Because as we learned last week, he had learned the secret of contentment. He was willing to live with a little and he was willing to live with a lot. He had done both and he would certainly do both again in his lifetime. And I have to say that his attitude is quite different from many of the fundraising letters that come across my desk as the pastor of this church. Because far too many of them are crisis-oriented in a negative sense. They say, we're in trouble. We need your help to survive. If we don't hear from you in the next 10 days, then we won't be able to broadcast our ministry or we will have to reduce our ministry's effectiveness and outreach. Now, while this may be true from a human point of view, it's not the approach that the Apostle Paul took whenever he made his appeals. Paul was glad that the Philippians gave because of what it did for them. He knew that every gift was an instrument in their heavenly, excuse me, an investment in their, in their heavenly bank account. In fact, Jesus mentioned the same thing when he talked about how we should lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. You see, whenever you give to the cause of Christ, you are laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. I don't know how many of you remember this old Christian song used to play on the radio. It's called, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. It was a popular song many, many years ago. I wanted to share the lyrics with you. It says, I dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me. We, we walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing, then someone called your name. We turned and saw a young man running and he was smiling as he came. He said, friend, you may not know me. And then he said, but wait, you used to teach Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus into my heart. Then another man stood before you and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. The chorus goes on, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. That song vividly uh, 
pictures an important truth that when we give to God's work, we are touching lives for eternity. And that's got to be your mindset. And when I say give, I mean both of your resources and of your precious time. We may not see it now, but one day, someday, we will be in God's presence and we will see people in heaven who are there expressly because you gave. When we invest in the work of the Lord, he keeps a record and he credits our account. And he doesn't just keep track of what we gave. He keeps track of all the good that was done with the resources that we gave and the lives that have been touched through our gifts. So when you give, ladies and gentlemen, how you give and the heart that you give really does matter. Now you notice that Paul uses a beautiful picture to explain how God views our giving. He says, a sweet-smelling aroma. Another translation says, a fragrant offering. Whatever description you choose to use, the point is simple. It reaches up to heaven, and it's a sacrifice that is pleasing to our Lord. There's, there's wonderful symmetry in this. When we give, God is pleased, lives are changed, and we are blessed. If I can put that into, into some kind of a, of a business management term, I would say generous kingdom giving is a win-win proposition. Let's go to Philippians 4, 19 through 20. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And then he says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thirdly, here we see that a gift is rewarded. Paul makes a gutsy guarantee in verse 19. He says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You know, periodically someone will grab the national spotlight by making some kind of a, of a daring prediction or a bold assertion something that you would call a, a gutsy guarantee. I remember back in 1993 when I lived in Phoenix, it was during the NBA Western Conference Finals when the heavily favored Phoenix Suns fell behind the eighth seed Los Angeles Lakers, zero games to two. But an optimistic young coach of the Phoenix Suns named Paul Westfall, he went to the press and he, this is what he said, no doubt about it, you can take it to the bank. We will go to LA and we will win both games. And then we will come back to Phoenix and win game five. Then everybody will say what a great series it was. Talk about a gutsy guarantee. On national television, down zero games to two, he says, I guarantee we're going to beat the Lakers in three straight games. And guess what? They did. After that dramatic comeback against the Lakers, the Suns would go on to face Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, where they didn't do as well. <laughs> but before the series started, the press asked Paul Westfall, do you want to make any bold predictions? To which Westfall responded, no, never again. He said, no more guarantees. There's too much pressure to carry them out once you make them. I say he was wise then. He wasn't too wise the first time. My point is that most of us have learned to be very careful about making guarantees at work or, or in sports 
or in other areas of our life. Because we all know that once you go on record saying something like that, there's a lot of pressure for you to come through. And most of us would just rather not carry that kind of pressure at all. But understand within this scripture, the apostle Paul makes about as gutsy of a guarantee as he'll ever make in his writings. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Some of you might be wondering, how could Paul proclaim this as boldly as he did? I, I mean, he's extremely confident here, isn't he? Well, he has every reason to be extremely confident because he knew Old Testament history very, very well. He was continually reminded of the numerous times that God had proven his power and brought provision to his people over the centuries. In the Old Testament, when people were facing a leadership crisis, God would always come through by providing a leader. Through Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Esther, Deborah, God always provided leadership. Whenever there was a, a military crisis, God would provide a specific strategy and just plain courage and outright miracles. When there was a food crisis, God provided manna from heaven and water from a rock. When the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, God provided a national deliverer named Moses. The storyline throughout the Old Testament is unmistakable. God has always faithfully supplied the needs of his people when his people look to him. So Paul simply reviewed history and with great confidence, he said, since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he will most certainly keep on doing what he's been doing all throughout history by providing for the needs of his people. But understand something, verse 19 is far more than a gutsy guarantee from the Apostle Paul. It is a promise from Almighty God. In fact, this may no, may no doubt be one of the greatest promises in all the Bible because it contains within it, in it, within it every other promise. There are three parts to this promise. First, the source of the promise. When the Apostle Paul says, and my God. This is an unusual expression because Paul could have easily said, and God will supply all of your need. But when he says, my God, he is making it exceedingly personal. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is my God. The God who raised up Moses is my God. The, the God who led jo Joshua to bring down the walls of Jericho, it's my God. The God who enabled uh, David to defeat Goliath with a slingshot is my God. The God of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, of Daniel, of all the prophets, he's my God. The God of the virgin birth is my God. The God who raised Jesus from the dead is my God. The God of the apostles is my God. In short, when Paul says, my God, he wants us to remember something very important, that the same God who worked all the mighty miracles that we read about daily in the Bible is the same God who makes this amazing promise. Secondly, there is a statement of the promise when the Apostle Paul says, we'll supply all your need. Most important word in that statement 
is all. Whatever you are truly in need of, God has promised to supply. Do you need forgiveness? He will abundantly pardon. Do you need more grace? The scriptures tell us that his grace is sufficient for you. Do you need hope? He is the, the God of hope. Are you tired and ready to give up? He says, come to me, all of you who, who labor and weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you confused about the future? The Bible says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Are you worried about what's going to happen? He says, fear not. The Lord is with you. He says, I am with you always. You need a miracle? Nothing is impossible for God. Do you need salvation? The scriptures say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. This promise is as comprehensive as the need of your life. And you can claim it at any time. Thirdly, there is the sufficiency of the promise. When Paul says, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This is God's way of saying, you can always come back for a second helping because there's plenty more where that came from. Have you ever worried that maybe you were asking too much of God? I'm just curious. I just wanted to tell you that's not possible to do. It's not possible to do. What I mean is we are like children playing on the beach with a plastic bucket trying to drain the Pacific Ocean. You can spend all day out there. When we was a little kid, we'd go to the beach, spend the entire day. She'd be out there with a bucket, dumping water up further in the sand, and nothing changed. The water levels didn't go down. In fact, they rose by the end of the day. It's just the way that it worked. After, we had done our, after she had done her best, the ocean was still there. The ocean was untouched by her efforts. It's exactly the same way with us and God and the things that we ask of him. He has an lim- unlimited supply of what we need. And it's not according to our resources. They're limited and they're finite. But he supplies according to his riches in Christ Jesus, which are unlimited and they are infinite. And in this promise, we come to a bottomless ocean. You've got to view it that way. Now, lest we misunderstand, Philippians 4.19 is a promise that God will supply all our need, but it doesn't mean that all of our prayers will be automatically answered the way that we are asking them because we don't often know what we need. We pray wrong. We pray for the wrong things. I remember one time before I met this lovely lady, I was in a relationship with a girl and I wanted to marry her, I thought. Oh my goodness. As that relationship went on, it was a mess. That's all I can tell you. And I I know for sure, had I hooked my wagon to that, I'd have never gone into ministry. (laughs) I'd have have gone off the deep end some other, I just know it. And and, and I was so convinced that she was the one for, for the first couple months. So we ask stupid prayers sometimes. And God's going up there, man, you are really dumb, David. I do not understand. If I've taught you anything, you should learn to trust me more. (laughs) He is not always going to answer our prayers the way that we think he should 
because he's going to answer our prayers in a way that he knows is best for us in our current situation. And it's going to be a learning experience and it's going to be an experience where we are going to grow. I read a story about a preacher named Harry Ironside. Anybody ever heard of Harry Ironside? In the early days of his ministry, he began to preach in Fresno, California. He came into town like an evangelist with a two-week stint. And as was often his custom, he never asked for any financial guarantees. He just simply lived out by faith that God would, would meet his need. Well, for some, some reason, things had not worked out very good for him. Uh, because in the middle of his meetings, he ran out of money. He was hungry. He was broke. He was forced to leave his hotel room and take his bag, and a local drugstore owner allowed him to keep his bag in there at night for, for safety. By his own testimony, he thought that the words of Philippians 4.19 were no longer true, and he got mad at God. He said to God, he said, you promised to supply my need. Why don't you just do it? And that night he rested under the tree in the courthouse, sleeping on the ground. The Lord spoke to him, spoke to him about areas in his life in which he had gotten greatly sloppy. And it touched Ironside and he confessed his sins and he asked God for the strength to make a new start. And the very next day after that moment, things began to turn around for him. People came to his meetings People invited him home for meals. He never again in all of his years lacked a place to stay. When the meetings were finished, he went to the post office and there he found a letter from his father. And in the PS of the letter from his father, he said that he had been meditating on Philippians 4.19 and my God shall supply all your need. And he added these words, the Lord has promised to give me whatever I need. And if I ever need a starving, I'm sure he'll give that to me too. Well, God spoke to Harry Ironside and he said, that my son is for you. And in that moment, he realized that his greatest need had been to go without food, to go without a place to lay his head so that he wouldn't turn his heart back to God and be truthful and live in integrity, and live a God-fearing life. This is true of the meaning of Philippians 4.19. It's not a blank check that guarantees us everything our heart desires. That's not what this is about at all. Or even an answer to our misdirected and, excuse me, stupid prayers. But it does guarantee us that my God will supply whatever we need when we need it. Sometimes it means a miracle, and other times it means that we might have to have a visit to the desert for a dry season to learn something new. But whatever it is we, that God needs for us to make it and, to, and forever God intended us to be, he will teach us and then he will supply it for us every time, all the time. It can even be painful in that it goes against our pride. And it makes us think, I gotta get my act together. I'm asking God to do something for me and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing for the Lord. One final point, because this verse has a specific application in its immediate context. You see, Paul knows human nature well enough to realize that now, after having received this gift from the church in Philippi, that perhaps some of the people who gave to that offering might now be experiencing anxiety 
over what they gave. Kind of like I told you when I was young and I used to think what I could do with that money, other things than giving it to, to the Apostle Paul. And since at this point, very little time had lapsed, maybe fear was creeping into their minds. Well, Paul knows one of the biggest fears in the life of humans is, even Christians, is the fear of not having enough. Have you ever been there? You ever been afraid you didn't have enough to get by? You know, the concerns that we have about not having enough food or having a financial shortage or the fear of lack of some kind is very real. There's always concerns that surface whenever we step out and whenever we give sacrificially. And Paul knows that some of the believers in, in Philippi who enthusiastically participated in that collection might now be having some second thoughts. Perhaps they are secretly saying to themselves, maybe I shouldn't have given that hundred bucks. Maybe I should have used that hundred bucks to fix that oil that's leaking out of my car. What if I can't afford to buy groceries this week to feed my children? What if my kids need new shoes? What if I lose my job? What if, what if, what if, what if? Can you relate to those kinds of fears? I bet you can. Because I can too. The truth be known, plenty of us wrestle constantly with the what ifs of life. It seems like often whenever an opportunity arises for us to share our God-given blessings with someone else, or when we present our tithes and offerings to the work of the Lord, or when we provide something for someone in need or the poor, some of us begin to secretly think, Lord, I want to share. I truly do have a heart for doing so. I do want to help, but I'm afraid that if I do, I might just be left high and dry. Lord, it's a, it's a cruel world out there. And if I end up on the short end, nobody's going to be there to bail me out. Lord, I can't really afford to open my heart and give. I can't afford to share my resources or my time or my money because I have to have all of that and to make sure that, that I'm completely covered first. I have to make sure that I'm not in a point of need at any time in my life. That's the kind of thinking that made the Apostle Paul cry out, you are talking nonsense with, with, when you talk that way. Who concocted that idea in your head in the first place? You are not alone in this world. You are not orphans. You are not abandoned. You are not vulnerable or destitute. You have a heavenly father who has unlimited resources, who is head over heels in love with you, a God who derives great joy in providing for you the needs that you have in your life. Let me read it again, and please never forget this. Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. So all this anxiety that's building up in your life about the roof caving in on your financial future, all this fear that, that makes you so upset when you consider parting with any of your financial resources, folks, it is just downright nonsense. My God is going to supply your need. So can we all just relax a little bit? You see, sometimes we fear to give because we think we'll go broke if we do. And no one wants to be broke. 
And as you think about it, it's a legitimate concern if it's you running the show. After all, who can afford to give? You've got a mortgage payment, you've got power bills, you've got children to raise, you've got all the rest of those monthly expenses. Well, the answer to that will always be, you can't afford to give. Again, that is, of course, if it depends on you. You'll never have enough money to give if you're waiting to have enough money to give. That is a proven fact, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes you just got to step out in faith and take the, word, the Lord at his word. But understand this verse that we're looking at is God's promise to generous givers. When you give to support God's work, he promises to meet your need. You may not get rich by, by giving support to the Lord's work, but you will prosper in whatever you do. Whenever you give away what other people tend to hoard for themselves, well, you're going to receive a blessing. It's as simple as that. I once heard someone say, God shovels it in and I shovel it out. <laughs> and guess what? He's got a bigger shovel than any of us have. And that is so true. When you look at your life, there is absolutely no doubt that God provides us with blessings in so many different ways. And I'm not just talking about financial blessings. There are so many more ways in which God blesses us as followers of Christ. And when you take the time to contemplate the many ways in which God has blessed you and your family and trace them back to one source, you will realize that every single one of them is a blessing from God. Scott, will you come forward and help me to close this down? So how should we apply this message to our lives today? Two things come to mind. First of all, let us give because we have a great God. And secondly, let us pray to our great God with confidence that he will meet our need. You see, if we give, we will be blessed. If we pray, our needs will be met. If we dare to do what God has asked us to do, he will do far more than we have dared to dream. That's just the way he operates. That's the way it works in God's economy. God's economy is not like the world's economy because God's economy is supernatural. I could tell you story after story in our own life, and there are thousands of stories in this room of where God stepped up and did the supernatural, sometimes at the very last second, sometimes early on did not make sense. Money showed up out of the blue. The government owed you money for 10 years. You didn't even know it. You get a check or a, or a wealthy aunt dies and they, they send you a check. I, I can tell you story after story after story. When you're thinking you're hanging on by a thread, I'm going under. And then boom, God unloads on you. And you're going, oh, that can only be a supernatural move of God. And that's exactly what it is. God works in ways that when on paper, it makes absolutely no sense. I, I don't like to talk about me, but I've lived this out in my life and I'm, I, there's nothing I'm more sure of than what I'm pre preaching to you today. 
There have been times where I have paid my tithe when I didn't make enough money to pay my tithe and make my obligations. Now, I have to tell you that my obligations were out of whack because I was a poor steward of what God gave me. I had credit card debt up over my eyeballs. I, I, every dime I made went to a check to pay somebody. That was my bad. And at some point I realized if I was ever gonna get out of this mess that I was in, I needed to get some guidance. Thank God for our financial peace class that Jill and Phil teach here at this church to help people to get out of debt. Because when you get out of debt, oh man, you can give like enormous amounts of money. It's an incredible life to live. But I had, I, I, I could, on paper it made no sense. And yes, guess what? Every month my bills were paid. I was never late on anything. Even though I was in debt up to my eyeballs, I kept a great credit rating through the whole thing. Never missed a payment. Took me years, paid it down, debt-free, beautiful place for us to be. But it made no sense. You want, God, you want me to give you 10% of what I'm making when I, even the 100% isn't barely covering what I've got right now. But he proved himself over and over and over and over again and he's been so faithful to us, so incredibly faithful. My desire is that all of you would receive his blessing in your life that only comes when you step out in faith and you give to his kingdom work. Well, there you have it, the epistle to the church in Philippi in 10 weeks. And I believe that God is challenging some of you through these teachings over the past couple months and truly, that's what the Word of God is designed to do. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us all Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So let, let's take these truths and let's really start to apply them to our lives. Let's allow God to really stretch us and mold us more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, because that, my friends, that should be our ultimate goal as a believer in Jesus Christ. I'd like to ask you all to stand to your feet if you would. Since we already had a time at the altar, I decided that I was gonna pray a prayer of blessing over you today, more specifically, a prayer of, of giving and receiving, that we would understand that we can take God's word at face value and know it to be true and not walk in fear when we make decisions based upon what the scriptures tell us to do. And for us to realize that truly we can never ever outgive God. So I'd like to ask every eye in this place to cl be closed, every head bowed as I pray this prayer over you and then I will continue along with a dismissal prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray over my church family today that uh, we would have the courage to take you at your word. Lord, give us the faith to give to the cause of Jesus Christ in this world. Help us to realize whenever we give that you bless us in return because it is the result of living a life of faith. Show us that you will supply all our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And Father, through these uncertain times in which we live, offer us your peace that passes all understanding. Because we know that you are in charge, it is your will that all of this shall prevail. So I ask you to bless my church family in every possible and conceivable way. 
and let us fully grasp the truth that every good and perfect gift is from you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And Father, I also ask as we go our separate ways today, that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have, that those conversations would be designed to build people up and not tear anyone down. And that we would shine like bright lights in a very, very dark world. And that bright light is the love of Christ in us. And Father, I pray that that light would shine so brightly that we wouldn't have to seek people out, but that they would seek us out. And they would say, what is it about you that's different? Well, it's, it's Jesus in my life. And you would open that door for us to share your goodness with someone else. Invite them to church. Befriend them. Let them know what a life lived for Christ is all about. In fact, Father, I pray for a divine appointment for each one of us this week. If someone would cross our path at some point, and we would know that we know that we're supposed to say a word to them of encouragement and watch where the conversation goes. And I know that you will guide and direct us through your spirit when that happens. Father, I also pray that you would keep us all safe from sickness and disease. Keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us until we meet together again and come here and worship you in spirit and in truth. I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for your presence here. I thank you for the lives that have been touched through this series from the book of Philippians. Lord, I pray that we would apply these truths to our lives. We would learn to live a life that is pleasing to you and that we would trust you in all things. And as we go today, Father, let us go in love. Let the world see it and know it that we are different because of the love of Christ in our hearts. And I ask these things in the precious and precious name of Jesus, Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here.